Almost six years ago, um, November 2013, um, right after service, um, myself, Pastor Johnny Reeve, and one other elder at the time, met with pretty much all the leaders in our church, mostly community group leaders. I know some of you were there. And this is the feel of that meeting. Have you ever been watching your favorite team? Oh, I don't know, maybe the Redskins. And you paid the $5 to get a ticket to go see the game. I'm sorry, I'm not from here. I still love them. Um, and it's the fourth quarter, and it, you're like, we have better things to do. And it was time to go home. Like, people are leaving the stadium, and it just so dem- that, That's what it felt like. Um, for and various reasons, our church was dying. And not the least of which was a leadership transfer that was unplanned. Um, and the elder team had asked me to step into the lead role six years ago. Did not want to do it. Had no desire to do it. Didn't come here to do it. Um, was grossly um, unprepared for that. We were out of time. We were out of options. We were out of money. And we had decided probably the best thing for Portico Church to do would be to merge with another local Acts 29 church uh, to, you, to move our resources that way and just continue the mission. And we got together with the leaders and we wanted to hear from them. We wanted to say, hey, guys, you've, you've done a good job. Don't leave the stadium yet, but let's talk. And so we asked them, said, hey, um, here's the situation. Let me just be honest with you. It makes more sense for us to merge with another church. Uh, however, we want to know what you think God would have us do. I never forget that day. One by one, these community group leaders stood up and said, well, here's the thing. Here's what God's doing in our group. God is meeting people in our church. He's meeting people in our home. People are coming to Christ. I don't want to stop. Thinking it was an anomaly, let's say, okay, good, sit down for a minute. What about you? Yeah, yeah, that, that kind of thing's happening too. I, I, don't, I don't think it's logical or good to ignore the work that God's doing. In fact, one community group leader, she stood up and she said, she quoted Nehemiah uh, and said, do you remember Nehemiah when they were building the wall with one hand and had a sword in another? She said, maybe we need to toughen up and do that. And oh, by the way, the Lord is working in our church, in our group, in such a way. I have no interest in turning that away. And, it, it, you know, I just have no interest in doing that. God's here. Why would we stop? And she said, by the way, from what I know of God's providence, if, for instance, we make the wrong decision and continue on as a church, and that wasn't Jesus' desire for us, is, won't he still get glory out of it? So we face plan. What's the worst thing that can happen? Well, she's now a pastor's wife, so that's the worst thing that can happen. That, that was <laughs> ha-ha, Kelsey Reed. Um, she's the wife of one of the churches we just planted. It, it was profound. Um, yeah, listen, the doors were closed, very honestly. And one of the things that we learned as a church is that Many times, faith takes the open door that you don't want. In many ways, the door had closed on us. But it was very clear as we put open our hands before the Lord. He's like, I'm not finished here. I'm not done with this church. I'm not done with your leaders. I'm not done here. And so we went forward from that day. And we're like, all right, we're all in. We're all in together. We move forward together. Um, God opened a door and we took it. 
Faith takes the open door every single time. And it's probably not the door you want. It's probably not the door that you're prepared for. And many times you lose the ability to control the outcome and faith puts you in a position where you don't have the resources to bring about what you want to do in the way you want to do it. And it forces you to trust God in ways that are beyond uncomfortable. But this is what trusting in God does. Um, we're going to learn about that today. You know, we've had this, this series in Revelation. It kind of spilled over into Advent. And I know it's been, it's been a hard series. But this is our 10-year anniversary. Next year is in April. And we are taking time to see this church, to see this church through the eyes of Jesus. Because that's what... Revelation is. He's preaching. He's teaching these seven churches. And some of the words to us have been hard words. And you're like, Pastor, please, it's Christmas. We need hope and joy and love and peace and all the things that Pastor Reeve said. And it doesn't feel like that's coming out of Revelation. So our apologies, but Jesus, he has this for us. We don't want to move forward just like six years ago. We don't want to move forward without him speaking into our life right now, into our church, into our future. But here's what we'll do for you. Um, because some of this has been hard, <laughs> we're going to do a Christmas Eve service, and it's going to be a candlelight service, and it's going to be great, okay? So we have that going for us. That's our little present to you, Candle, candlelights, the whole thing. Um, this is a good one. You can exhale on this. Jesus has nothing for this church in Philadelphia, nothing, but just he just loves on them. He just gives them praise. He just gives them praise. So be ready to hear that today. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. I want you to watch the text because God is going to show us how faith takes the open door every single time. We're going to understand what that means. We're going to focus on this imagery of the open door. There's a lot of imagery in Revelation. We can't focus on every single word. But one of the main images we see in Revelation 3 here as he speaks to the church in Philadelphia is this idea of open doors and closed doors. So we want to know what that means. So we'll walk through that image first. What is a closed door and how does it become closed, especially for a church? Secondly, what is an open door and how does God do that? And then we're going to get, try to get really practical, uh, which is four doors that Jesus opens for his church and for you and how we walk through those. So that's where we're going just to give you a heads up. Faith takes the open door. All right, I'm going to read this for us. This is going to be uh, Revelation chapter 3. This is the sixth church that Jesus has spoken to, and it's to the church in Philadelphia. We're going to start in verse 7. So let's go. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. 
Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. That is the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We humble ourselves. We ask for your mercy in this way today. Let this be true of us. Will you show us an open door this morning and what that means? We pray that you would open up this powerful word of yours, that we might behold its treasure, that we might, as you say, hold on to the crown that you've given us. So we lift this time and we ask your blessing on it. And it's in the name of Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father, even now interceding for this church. In this name we pray, amen. Okay, as always, quickly, this is a church in Philadelphia. So Philadelphia is just up 95, like maybe what, 90 miles. (laughs) And it's weird that it's in the Bible, but it's miraculous, right? It's not, it's not. All right. We need to understand first the city of Philadelphia and then a little bit about the church of Philadelphia if you want to understand first what this closed door is. So we're going to walk through closed doors first. Uh, Philadelphia, the city, is about 25 miles southeast of Sardis. It's in, still in this kind of um, this Hermes River Valley that's there. It's modern-day Amman, Jordan, uh, if you're familiar with that. Um, the thing about Philadelphia is it was just a good place to be. Uh, it had a lot of commerce. It was a little bit of an economic powerhouse. They had a really good trade in leather. They had some textiles going on. And they also had a, a vineyard region about 25 miles or just, just north of the area. Uh, so they were well-suited. If you lived in Philadelphia, it would feel as though your life was a series of open doors. Um, However, the thing about Philadelphia that was most significant is it was a gateway to the east. So the road that would come through Rome, uh, Thyatira and Sardis, if you wanted to go east and well into Asia Minor, you were going to go through Philadelphia. It was kind of like 95. So it, it was the gateway. Everybody that would go out eastbound from Rome would end up kind of making their last stop in Philadelphia. Here's why that matters. Uh, it was One of the roles that they took on in the empire is they felt like it was their mission or their jumping off point to spread Greek culture. So Greek and Greco-Roman culture that was really under Rome was being spread to parts in Asia Minor and East many times through Philadelphia. And it worked, especially the language. Um, So they were a missionary city. Don't forget that. Um, Also don't forget this. Although it was a great place to be, there was a lot of earthquakes there. In fact, in AD 17, it just got leveled. In fact, Smyrna did too in a couple other cities. Why that matters is for two reasons. One is it was rebuilt uh, by Tiberius, uh, Roman Caesar. But um, 
people that would move back into the city, but they had like PTSD. Could you imagine? If there was a little tremor, they were out. In fact, many people wouldn't live in the city anymore. Uh, they were afraid. There was no peace, if you will, and they would live in the rural areas. So they were very, very skittish because of this earthquake. Um, and it was rebuilt by Tiberius, and they actually renamed it um, Neo Caesarea, the new Caesar, because he did such a great job rebuilding it and tagged his name on the city. This is going to close out as we understand how Jesus puts his name on us. So that's a little bit about Philadelphia. Now the church in Philadelphia, there were nobody. Isn't it weird how many times God writes about nobodies in the Bible? He must love them. Did you see what he says about this church? I know that you have but little power. What does that mean? This, you're small. You have very little influence. Man, when I read this, the first thing I thought of was that day that we just about walked out of the stadium. You have little power. You're in a good place. You should have a lot of influence, but you really have little power. You don't have any ability to really do the things that you want to do. And there's a very specific reason for that. So they're almost invisible. They have little ability to affect real change. This would be like thinking about, um, well, think about flying. If you're going to fly in a really bad weather day, do you want to go up in a four-seat Cessna? No, you want to go up in a large airliner. They were the four-seat Cessna. They had no draw, no appeal. Here's why the door was closed for them. It wasn't just because they were small. If you notice, um, Jesus says, Behold, synagogue of Satan. Right? They lie. They close the door on, on the church in Philadelphia. Here's how. Judaism was a legalized religion in Rome. Synagogue was where they worship. Christianity was considered a sect. And so many times early Christian churches were blossoming in and out of the synagogues. As time went on, and they realized they would call them the Nazarites because they followed Jesus. Um, the early church was really made up of Jews. But as time went on, there became a divide. And they're like, no, we don't believe in Jesus. So what happened many times in some cities, especially in Asia Minor, um, the synagogue would like rat them out. They're like, they ain't Jews. They don't belong to us. They'd rat them out to Rome. Christianity was a, an illegal religion in the empire. And so they were put out on the street, ratted out by God's people, no less. By God's people, no less. Door slammed in their face, isolation gone. You have no friends. So this is the door that was shut in their face in Philadelphia. Slam shut. And so they had no options. Tiny and dejected and rejected. So feel this for a minute. You know that you spend so much of your life trying to open doors that just won't budge. You spend so much of your life living in a land of opportunity, in a land of open doors, wondering why the one door that you've been trying to open for all of your life won't open. What are you talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about for you. Um, hey, it might be a relationship that either won't go anywhere or that you want. It might be a job. It might be a career. These are the things we hang our hats on. It might be education that you can't get. 
You want an open door, and you spend your strength and your energy trying to find success in that. But when that door doesn't open, when the experience is that it continues to shut in your face, eventually you just get demoralized. This is how they felt. This is the closed door that Jesus is talking about in the text. So how do we get to the open door? Because he says some weird things. Uh, in chapter 3, at the beginning, it says, um, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and who shuts and no one opens. Remember, the key to understanding Revelation is going back to the Old Testament. All the imagery comes right out of the Old Testament. So that itself is actually a quote from Isaiah 22, somewhere about verse 20, and it's a story. So Jesus is quoting the Old Testament as John is writing. The reason is because they would understand it. They would be able to go back and say, oh, I know what Jesus is talking about. So what is the key of David? We need to understand if if we're going to understand what this door is that Jesus sets before us that no one can close. Well, the key of David um, is referenced out of this situation where the secretary of of state for Israel at the time in Jerusalem, Shebna, he was not a good dude. And he was a leader that was, at the end of the day, and even in the beginning of the day, was going to serve self. So he's a self-centered ruler, a self-centered leader. And through Isaiah, the prophet, he said, guess what? I'm going to pull that from you. I'm going to pull this office from you. And I'm going to give it to Eliakim. And he's going to have the key of David. In other words, he's going to have the full authority and ability to execute everything that the king wants him to do. He's going to be the full voice of power. And he's going to represent God and the king. And he's going to do it well. So the idea of the key of David is that this key opens the door. It's the key of the kingdom. So how that ties to Jesus, remember it's Christmas. He's the son of David. We just sang that. Jesus is the promise. He's the complete fulfillment of everything that God has promised to his people, including us today, if we will trust in him. So the key of David is the son of David. The key of David is the full fulfillment of everything that God has promised. He's holy and true, meaning this, he's fully authentic. He's not a shadow, but he's the substance. He's the one who was to come, and he's he's there. And now he's speaking to the church as the ascended Jesus. So he's fulfilled his mission. He's poured the Spirit of God out on the churches. He's running redemption And he's getting ready to wrap up all of history. And he drops this reference, the key of David, to remind them, there is nothing that's going to happen that's going to frustrate my plans. If I set a door before you, go. Walk through it. I don't like that door. Come on, let's do this together. He's telling them that even though you are kicked out of the synagogue by those that say they belong to me, I'm going to make them come back. And learn this one thing. I've loved you. Don't be afraid. I'm the key of David. I hold the authority. I hold the power. I say who's in the kingdom, not them. This is the fullness of God's kingdom. So he's pulling their eyes away from the closed door. 
You, you need to do that. How much time and energy do you spend focusing on the one door that won't open for you? Almost all of it. And sometimes that's necessary, right? Endurance, patient endurance matters. But it's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about things that are ripped out of our hands. And he uses those to either open other doors or to work his plan in our life. So the key of David, Jesus himself opens these doors. How do we walk through them? Do you pick up on this? Patient endurance. Let me read this. This is so good. Well, maybe it's good. Um, nobody wants to be patient. Listen to this. Listen to what Jesus said. This is just unrestricted praise. I know your works. That, now, that makes me nervous when I hear that. But then hear what he says. I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. That's a parenthetical. And then he goes back. I know. I know your works. What works are they? I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. You guys are tiny. And you kept my word and you have not denied my name. What does that feel like? When you're keeping the word of God and holding on to his name, the relationship with you have that you have, this means this, the relationship that you have with God is active, it's real, and you're living as though you are invested with the power of the living God and his love leads your life. When you deny his name, you might embrace the creed of Christianity or be in the room, but it makes no difference to your life in real time. For this little church in Philadelphia, can we call them Philly? For little church in Philly, they may not have been bold, but they did not let go of God's word. They did not let go of God's name, and it cost them dearly. And Jesus is like, oh, don't worry about that. They're going to come back and bow down at your feet. And I'm going to make them know that I've loved you the whole time. So this takes patient endurance. Patient endurance. I'm just going to tell you, I just thought of you guys when I read this. Is there, as we've read through these churches in Revelation, you're picking up on, ooh, that sounds like us. Ooh, that sounds like us. And usually it's not good. Can I just say that? Correction's necessary. This is you guys. Man, I, it really, in many ways, one of the reasons that we got out of November in 2013 was because the seed of this church wouldn't let go of the Word of God. They're like, no, 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 Jason, settle down. Jesus started it, he'll finish it, let's go. They would not let go of the name of Jesus. They believe his name was invested with power and that his love was active and that if one door shuts, so what? We'll, we'll, we'll bounce to another one or whatever God opens up. And if he closes them all, okay. But why would we walk out of the stadium now? That's you guys. You guys do this and you do it well. It's one of your strengths. You will not let go of the word of God. You will not let faith be an abstraction that you just talk about. We push each other to walk in faith. In the name of Jesus, Messiah, Redeemer, key of David in this case, means something to you. So it's patient endurance that walks through these doors that Jesus opens up for us. But you've got to wait. This is the patient endurance. It requires a couple things. Waiting on God's timing. 
Everybody raise your hand who's so excited for that. Come on, let's just be honest. We hate it. Think of yourself as a four-year-old. And your parents just told you, we're going to go to Disney World next year. (laughs) It's kind of what just happened here. The New Jerusalem's coming later. How does a four-year-old react to that? When are we going to go? When are we going to go? Hey, we're going to go to Disney World, right? Can we go for lunch? You're like, no, we can't go for lunch. They are obsessed with it. And it can cause them to lose heart because they have a hard time understanding how time flows. But what do we tell them? Just, just keep trucking. Keep trucking. Go to school. Come back. Do your thing. We're going to get there. Jesus is doing the same thing. So waiting on God's timing and risking everything on God's power and providence. See, when, your time, when God's timing doesn't work out, what do you do? <laughs> You're like, well, I'm just going to go over here to this door. Because it was uh, that door is probably where Jesus wants me. But I'm just going to keep trying this one and trying that. I don't want to Listen, I don't want to be put in a position where I have to trust in God completely. Yes, you do. So you have to learn to wait on his timing and it's, it's really, I'm going to quote Pastor Tim Keller from Redeemer Church in Manhattan. He says, um, when you're forced to wait on God's timing, you're going to have a hard time many times believing that Jesus loves you. When his timing is not your timing, you're going to feel rejected. You're going to feel misunderstood. Again, think of a kid. Right? Think of a kid. Um, They don't understand. So we have to understand, as God's kids, his timing matters. You don't want your timing. You want his timing because his love is leading you. And risk everything on God's power. That's patient endurance that God is talking about. So those are open doors. And many times, you don't see them until you walk through them. You don't understand them until you've walked through them. You don't get the full knowledge of what it means to even patiently endure until people in your life that trust Jesus will guide you and guard you. Well, I have to make this decision my own. Hey, good luck with that. Every decision I've ever made that was significant on my own was wrong. God opens doors. And he's opened doors here. Can I just review a few of them? Um, this building. He opened the door to this building. We were kicked out of our school that we worshipped in because they were going to, you know, they had to fix it, renew it. They're rebuilding it. Like, we had no place to go. Got to open the door here. I've seen hundreds of people come to Christ. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people influenced by the Spirit of God and take their faith seriously. I've seen the works of God, the miracles of God in this body, in the years that I've been here, over and over and over. I could, we could just stop right here and I could tell you a million stories. I mean, Pastor Johnny Reeve is just a good example. Um, I mean, he's such a good friend, but like how God has worked in his life over the years is just, you're like, well, how? Well, I can't tell you that. But like, that's his story to tell, not mine. But it's just been amazing. It's, and just all of our leaders and all the people that we get to know here, God has opened doors for us on and on and on. So what does that look like for you? 
and us. Well, here's four doors that this key of David or the ascended risen Jesus opens. Four doors, just four. We're going to pull these from the text. Um, Well, before we even get there, um, when you look at an ancient ruins, like if you were to go to Philadelphia today or Jordan, and you were to look at the Temple of Zeus, which is a big temple there, what would you see? What's left there? Huh? Somebody said it. Pillars. Anytime, yeah, you're right, you got it. Win for you. Do we have a picture? Look at that. Oh, you cheated. That's it. That's the Temple of Zeus. And there's Jordan behind it. Anytime you go to ruins, what's the one thing you see? Like, oh, see these pillars? That's where a great temple once stood. Why did Jesus say this? The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. So Jesus makes those people that will trust in him pillars. The things that endure, the things that don't fall, the things that don't go away, the things that although they may erode a little bit and buckle under the weight and want to fall, they don't. And he doesn't just make you a pillar, he makes you a pillar in his house. Again, he's quoting from the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 27 Verse 8, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire of his temple. This is unrestricted access relationally to the risen king. This is what Jesus wants us to see. So the first door that he opens is this eternal belonging. I don't know how alone you are. And honestly, this city produces a lot of isolation. But if you are in Christ, if you are trusting in him, regardless of how you feel or the rejection you experience, God is telling you, Jesus is telling you, friend, I've opened this door for you. Take it. Faith takes that open door. I have made you a pillar in my God's temple. Take it. You belong. You eternally belong to him. But I want to go to Disneyland now. Me too. Me too. Or Disney World, East Coast. (laughs) It's better out here, it is. (laughs) I can tell you that. I want to go now. I do too. But you eternally belong to him. You're a pillar in his kingdom. Hey, listen, there's a coming, well, we'll get there. There's a world coming, and you're a part of it. So first, eternal belonging. And that's a door that God opens to you. Many of you won't take it because you're afraid. Many of you run from that. Uh, door two, costly love. Well, that doesn't sound like a very good door, does it? But I said God's opening a wide door for you to live your life in costly love. Here's what you're thinking. Okay, good. And you're not writing it down because you want three and four, don't you? You're like, that's good. I'll check, those. I'll check love out if the other ones aren't very good. You're made for it. If you seek your own happiness up and above your relationship with God or obeying God, you get neither. You, you destroy your happiness and you destroy your relationship with God. Well, I want to be happy. Of course you do. 
God made you that way. He doesn't want joy and happiness. The way you get that is through love. Scripture sums it up very succinctly. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You're built for this. You're built to be in a love-trust relationship with God. God kicks open the door to that. Take it. Be loved by him. Love him back. Well, I don't know him. Get to know him. Read his word. Pray. Ask his kids around you. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for you not knowing. He's kicked that door open. Faith takes the open door. Run through it. I don't know how that's going to work out. Well, there's a lot of people for thousands of years who can help you with that. And the Bible. And the Holy Spirit. The presence and power of God. So what is this costly love? Well, when you love something, you share it. So love God, share it with others. Just serve other people. You know the future, the future that's coming, this new Jerusalem, you know what it belongs to? The people that love. That's it. The people that have taught by God to love. Do you love the last and the lost and the least and people in your city and your neighborhood and your family that have less options than you? Do you even, does it even resonate with you? Because it resonates with your risen king. You should probably figure that out. Right? He opens the door to costly love. Take it. Share Jesus with somebody. Encourage somebody. Serve somebody who needs it. Um, you're a pillar. You know what that means? You're an influencer. Take the open door. Influence somebody for Jesus. Serve somebody. Love them. It's not hard. Jesus will teach you. Take the open door. So eternal belonging. Second, costly love. Third, Jesus opens the door. The key of David opens the door to new life. Um, Verse 12 says, The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. New life. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city, which is the new Jerusalem. And then Jesus said his own name. And then he also says in verse 10, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming in all the earth. What does that really mean? Well, there's a couple of things it could mean. Um, I'm just going to tell you what I think it means because I think it's pretty clear here. It's about trial and it's about judgment. So if you're holding on to Jesus, if you're in Christ, although that's coming on the earth now, it's happening now, it doesn't happen for you. But I suffer. Yeah, you do but you don't suffer because Jesus is against you. You don't suffer because God doesn't love you. You don't suffer because God doesn't understand your life and is, is just doesn't care about you. You don't suffer wrath and you don't suffer judgment. In fact, the door that God opens for you to a new life means you're part of a new world that's coming and a new creation. And it, it, God is building you up from the inside out. And although your body is wasting away and will die someday unless Jesus comes back now, he is preparing you for the rest of your eternity in a kingdom that is established now but will be fully consummated when he returns. That means that everything that happens in your life, every open door that God puts before you, no matter how easy or how difficult that door is to walk through, it is for your good. It is for abundant life. Jesus separates everything from you that will steal life from you if you will trust him. And man, it's going to hurt. For this little church, it meant getting kicked out. And I don't even know what happened. They might have just fizzled out. Maybe that was God's will for them. Well, God didn't use them then. We're reading about them. 
And they're teaching you how to trust their king. They didn't let go of his name. They didn't let go of his word. And now they become our instructors, the church in Philadelphia. So Jesus opens this door to new life. And many of you, again, will hold on to an understanding of the gospel. You yourself will not repent. I think that's just too dangerous. I can't give up sin. In fact, I don't even know if there is such a thing as sin, if I'm honest. I'm not going to do anything that puts my jeopardy, that puts my happiness and my control in jeopardy. You can't take any of these doors unless you're willing to completely surrender the outcome in your control. Well, I'm not willing to do that. Then this isn't for you. Let it be for you. No circumstance, no sin can ever separate you from God's call and God's plan and God's purpose and God's desires for your life. That is new life. Take the door. And I think this is the best one, number four. God opens the door to a new world. Did you see that? Do you want a new world? This is bittersweet for me. I like this world. Kind of. I want it to be different, but I like it. I'm made from the dust of this, this, this earth, which means I belong here. Did you know that eternity is physical? Did you know that? That shouldn't shock you, Christian. Do your homework. It's called glorification. God likes you physical. He made you that way. There was never a plan to separate the body and the spirit called death. But it was, it was our response. It was our response to either living to image and glorify God or living for our own happiness. We chose the wrong door. We are infinitely separated from God. In Christ, we are not only reinstated to that relationship, it's intimate, it's true, and we become citizens of a coming, a coming kingdom. It's here now, but a new world is coming. So God opens the, the door to a new world. The new Jerusalem comes down. As Pastor Reeve said, peace, peace. Real peace is not possible unless it's in God's presence. If peace is just an inner feeling you have, well, you're not going to get it around God. You'll find it somewhere else. The kind of peace that this scripture is talking about is the new Jerusalem. In a recreated cosmos where God is not separated from his people. There's unrestricted access where society and culture and relationships thrive under the, 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 the sovereignty of the seen God, not the unseen God. This is the world that's coming. Are you living like that now? Are you willing to give whatever it takes now because your citizenship in this new Jerusalem, in this coming kingdom, is so real to you? Your future is so incredibly bright. Your peace is not just a general feeling of well-being, but you have peace in God's presence. That's shalom. That's Jerusalem, right? That's the peaceful city. It's peaceful because God's there with his people and sin has been removed. The blood of the lamb has removed every sin from them. He himself is their peace. That's where you want to go. That actually is the happiest place on earth. It's not the earth being, it's not us being whisked away to heaven. 
God's redemption plan is having coming down to earth. The new Jerusalem kisses earth, sets up shop. The whole earth becomes his throne room, which is always the plan in creation. This is the door that God opens in the risen king of Jesus Christ, the key of David. Do you want that? Do you want it? How bad do you want it? Not a trick question. To say a lot. I want it. I want it tomorrow. But my timing's not good, so I'll trust God for that. Faith takes the open door. There's a door you're never going to open. It's called death. Nobody has a key for it. Jesus was closed in by death, literally. When he opened the door and walked out of that grave, all of this promise became true. All of it. And he opens these doors for you, for us, for us. I am so thankful as I look at some of your faces that you shepherded me and say, nah, we're going to keep going. I shudder to think what would have happened if I did what I wanted to do. November 2013, and didn't take that door. You should shudder too. And it should touch us and teach us that whatever God, whatever door God sets before us as a church, whatever door God is setting before you as a person, as his beloved, you need to take it. And maybe that's just, I just need to repent and give my life to him. Then do it. Take the door. Faith takes the open door. And we will do that together over and over and over Mm, until the day comes. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. You're so good. The longer I'm alive, the dumber I feel like I am. Hallelujah to that. You are good and you are wise. You have pillaged death. You have opened a door to eternal life that nobody can shut. You have opened a door to living a life which no one can take away from us. Let us walk boldly as a people through the open door that you've given us. Let us love boldly. Let us share you, God. Let us serve others. Let us live as citizens who are absolutely, we feel the shadow of the new Jerusalem coming down. We feel it. We feel it. With this, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.